Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today we're going back in time and revisiting an old movie before we kind of hit the award season stretch or hopefully the award season stretch if those movies finally start coming. I'm happy to be joined by my friend Nick Menta to talk about 2009's Up in the Air. Nick, thanks for being here. Josh, do you know how many times I've thought about this moment? played out the conversation i'd have with you right here <laughs> I, i'm just sitting here with my massive mustache and just uh thinking about how excited i am to be here to tell you about your frequent fire status <laughs> um I, I do like nick is quite in the moment like i mean this is a movie where we, we watch a guy fly first class and nick's just basically has like is sipping like a drink like he's basically a first class passenger that just got something nice brought to him so uh, I, I did at one time have the same like jim beam airplane bottles that that George Clooney <laughs> throughout the movie, and I was really disappointed I couldn't find them before we started. That is one of the very many great visuals in this movie. Is just like what kind of what does that say about you as a person? If that's what your liquor cabinet is, it's just like a bunch of miniatures as opposed to like actually having a uh, as of actually having like a legit liquor cart in your house or something like that. I mean, it's yeah, just, it was like A one steak sauce and airplane bottles, and that was it. I mean that 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 is that that is a lifestyle. Uh, but uh, Up in the Air is the 2009 movie from Jason Reitman, his third feature film after Thank You for Smoking and Juno. It stars Jude, George Clooney as Ryan Bingham, a corporate downsizer uh, who is whose job in a more layman's terms is to go around to different companies and fire people. And he travels around the country doing that, and that is basically his life on a day-to-day basis, and he almost doesn't have a real home. Uh, his company brings in uh, Anna Kendrick, who plays Natalie, a young recent Ivy League grad who has been brought into the company to help their efficiency and cut their travel costs by 85%, and they're going to start firing people virtually. But Ryan doesn't want to do that, so he convinces his boss, played by a very incredibly swarmy Jason Bateman, to uh, let them hit the road and uh, show her the ropes and prove how important this side of the job is. Uh, while in his travels, he also happens to meet Alex, played by Vera Farmiga, who is also a uh, a professional traveler, basically, and they form a relationship of sorts that develops throughout the movie nick recommended that a couple months ago when we were talking about other movies to revisit what what would be a good one to talk about if he were to come back and talk about an old movie after we put a lot of time into talking about christopher nolan and uh nick actually i mean we did we took we talked a lot about christopher nolan uh all of it positive uh yeah i wish and uh nick 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 selected up in the air because it felt uh timely for a lot of different reasons and i uh had an open week here before like new movies started coming out and i thought well this feels like a pretty uh, timely week to talk about it because unfortunately the the, the country is hitting new lows in a lot of ways with respect to the COVID nineteen crisis. And uh, Nick, what was it about the current times that made you think this would be a good movie to revisit? And do you have any big takeaways when you actually sat down to now watch this movie in the context of what our country is going through right now? Yeah, um, this is obviously a movie from the last time that there was widespread unemployment in America. Now, obviously. The economic conditions are what they are in these two periods, you know, talking about 2009 versus 2020 for very different reasons. But nonetheless, there's a lot of economic hardship in the world. There's a lot of people suffering and there's a lot of people who are either laid off, furloughed or have been outright fired. And then so you, you have that as a commonality. I think what differentiates this and what really recontextualizes this movie when you watch it 10 years later is the idea of actually being in an airport, actually being surrounded by people, sharing these common spaces, whether um, you know it's a it's a first class lounge or a, you know a cabin or just people staying in hotels, going to conferences. Um, there's all sorts of travel and interactions that we can't do. And you know, there's a moment pretty early on in the film where 
um, you know, George Clooney's sister, Ryan's sister, accuses him of being awfully isolated. And he's walking through an airport and he says, isolated, I'm surrounded. And I, mm-hmm. I can only like imagine the anxiety of actually being surrounded in an airport by that number of people at this time. So just seeing the life he lives, you would almost have to imagine that if Ryan Bigham were a real person suffering through coronavirus in 2020, as opposed to being grounded because his company is going through these changes where they don't want him traveling anymore, he might be stuck at home for a very different reason, but he would be going through a lot of the same emotions he goes through in the film. For sure. I think when you suggested watching this movie and talking about it, I I thought, well, yeah, that's really obvious. We're not traveling right now. The economy's bad. So I had all that on my mind going into it. And so one thing that resonated even more with me because it was something I really hadn't given a lot of thought to before I watched it again was, wow, I think this says a lot about how we're divided as a workforce. And uh, because when that's the other thing, I mean, you could have some version of this movie that's not exactly about like going virtual for a job. Like there's still a way to do it. And it it could just like have that not be a, a, a component of the movie and still be about a guy that lives this lifestyle. But it's about the, hey, this is a job that could easily go remote. And that became a huge talking point at the, like for throughout the first few months of the pandemic is that like, look, there's all these essential workers that have to go to work and there's this whole other class of worker that doesn't have to do that. And we're becoming like super divided in that regard. And I just found it kind of really fascinating that like this movie, I mean, we're the, the economy is in a bad place right now for a totally different reason. But this movie just happened to make that choice to be about a guy that was specifically threatened by like having to go remote. And now in this time, our economy is bad, but also like remote work has become like so much more feasible for so many people. And you realize like what actually separates like people that have all the airs of someone like Ryan Bingham from like just a regular person that works just an actual desk job. And uh, I, I mentioned that visual of the, the, the liquor miniatures in the uh, uh, cabinet later on or in the in the fridge. I mentioned the liquor miniatures in the fridge, but the other probably the best visual in this movie that like struck me in a way that it just did not at all in 2009 when I first saw this movie was when you see uh, Ryan at the at, at a later point in the movie where it's looking like he's not going to be working on the road anymore, just goes and sits at a cubicle while wearing a suit. And uh, you think of like people that work in jobs like in cubicles like that and call centers. And it's like, wow, how how different are they actually from someone like Ryan Bingham that carries himself like 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 someone that's like way above that. And a lot of that is due to George Clooney's natural charisma. But it's like, wow, our country is like super divided and we probably aren't actually all that different, even though our lifestyles are so different right now. And that was one of the really interesting things about this movie. That is something I never even would have considered before 2020. No, and I think the other part, and you saw this plenty in 2009, but I think you're even seeing a, a more stark reality of this in 2020, is that even while there's a lot of economic suffering and while there are a lot of people going through a lot of struggles, there are also people always get rich when others get poor, mm. right? So you're you're seeing a guy whose job it is, you know, like Jason Bateman's character at the beginning of the film is bragging about how like, this industry is down 20%. This industry is in the tank. This is our moment, people. So you, no matter how bad things get for a certain segment of the population, there's always going to be people on the other side of this structure where, you know, this is zero sum to some degree who are still profiting off of this in some way, right? Um, so you have that dynamic. But I think you also have the, the dynamic that you touched on that automation is even a threat to George Clooney's character now, right, in a way that he didn't even envision it. Um, and so he's so used to being, well, I'm the guy who, and I try to do it in as sympathetic and an empathetic as fashion as possible. I'm the guy who fires you. Suddenly 
my own, not just job, but my entire lifestyle that I've crafted for myself is in jeopardy in a way that I didn't think was feasible. And so many people have seen that in the last year. It's funny you mentioned those companies. I definitely thought about Apollo Global Management a time or two while watching this movie. You know, those Sixers. Yeah, you know, they they, they kind of realize, wait, we're, we're a company that despises distressed assets and we're doing very well right now. Maybe we shouldn't just cut all of our employees' pay. Uh, so there are certainly a lot of companies that are uh, do, doing quite well right now. I thought about that, but also like how I think we're just like so much more sensitive to uh, a, a lot of this other stuff than we might have been in 2009. I mean, the company obviously has a more narrow scope, but it's like in a way they're basically McKinsey. And mm-hmm. and every other week there's some story in the news about just how awful McKinsey is and just how a lot of oh, they, they just a lot of Ivy League people are just funneled into it and then they can just go and do other things in the world. And it's like, wait, do we really want to think about exactly what they're doing? Because a large part of what they're doing is uh, just, you know, helping companies like find ways to lay workers off and stay profitable. Uh, so I, I, I wonder it made me think like I wonder if this movie would have been received as warmly because it is very bizarre in that it is like very, very heavy subject matter. But I think even you described it before before you got on. It's also a breezy movie. And like, do you have trouble reconciling these two things? Because I I realize like, wow, I actually have fun watching this. Isn't this like a such a nice watch? And then it's like, wow, this is also like very heavy stuff. Or do you think the movie gets to does it actually acceptable, good job of having it take and eat it, too, because it does kind of reckon with this stuff at, at the same time? Um, that's sort of the, the magic of being able to cast Clooney in this part. And mm-hmm. if you try to, it's, it's kind of a fun exercise. You could do this with any movie, but I think it's particularly relevant here. If you try to cast somebody else in that role, does the movie kind of fall apart? Yeah. Like I, don't, he ha- I, I had that written down to talk about like, who else can make that guy likable? I don't know. I, I thought about Tom Cruise, but that's a different, it's a very different movie. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't play it in the same way, but I'm, I'm just trying to think of people who have like a certain, like could Brad Pitt have done this? Maybe. Yeah. I think Tom Cruise would almost be too, like, too, seem too excited to be there <laughs> and, right. and then, and then very different. rub them, just, rub them even right. more the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> the director, um, I, I just read actually earlier tonight before I sat mm-hmm. down and watched the movie, if he had considered anybody else, he said he had actually considered Steve Martin if Clooney had passed, but obviously it's a much different movie with Steve Martin. He actually compared it to like maybe a, a version of lost in translation yeah. in a way. Um, I guess to more directly answer your question, I do think that the film treats it with the appropriate amount of gravity. And you realize that as charismatic and as likable as as Clooney is as an actor and as frankly as this character is, he's a guy who doesn't have all the answers. And he he slowly comes to grips with that over the course of the movie. And he goes from being someone who is remarkably self-assured at the beginning of the film to being a guy who is fundamentally aimless and lost at the end of the film, who ends up taking you know, Anna Kendrick's advice towards the end that just has all these frequent flyer miles, goes to the airport, looks at the board and picks a place to go in a way that he wouldn't have even considered an hour and 40 minutes previous. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was going to, I was going to actually like more uh, specifically ask, like, do you think that character has a conscious and uh, the whole time, or do you think he, uh, do you think he only gets it because of talking to Anna Kendrick or do you think he only pretends to have one when he's trying to justify why he's on the road and how there's an art to what I do and you actually need to like be there to talk to these people and help them through this difficult time in their life? How much of his bullshit do you think he actually believes? Because I kind of am thinking as I thought about it afterward, I'm like, you know, I feel like he is like really spinning a web of bullshit the whole time. But like maybe George Clooney actually makes me believe that he believes some of what he does actually has true value as opposed to just affording him the live a lifestyle he likes. I think it's more the latter. I yeah. think it is that 
this job, regardless of the nature of the job. It could be anything. It just so happens to be this. But it, this job affords him the ability to live in that very sort of, not isolated necessarily, but um, self-reliant would be a nice way of putting it. Like mm-hmm. he's just on his own. And if he's on his own, he doesn't have to deal with anybody else's BS. And he prefers it that way. Except over the course of the film, I don't think that it's the the economic hardships that, that eat away at him because none of that stuff actually cares. What ends up being threatened for him is his own ability to continue living that life and then questions about, do I want to keep living it as he falls you know, more and more in love with Vera Farmiga's character? And so he's got a couple things happening. One, the lifestyle I've built for myself is falling apart because my job is changing. And two, am I sure I was right about any of this stuff all along? And that's that's the really good visual of him leaving the conference that he's always wanted to speak at in Las Vegas to walk out because he doesn't believe it anymore. And he's going to go try to actually be in a relationship with her only to get to Chicago and realize that spoiler, she has a family. Yeah. I really love this movie. And I, after I rewatched it and was like, wow, this might even be better than I remember. I was like, I should probably read some negative reviews too, to see like, you know, what, what other people say about it. And one, one of the criticisms I read, and it was from, uh, it was from Will Leach when he used to write uh, movie reviews for Deadspin. And he, he's not a fan. And he said that he just felt like that Ryan is doing more, whatever the plot needs him to do. And not actually like being like actually a whole character. It kind of bothered him that you have really no context for why this guy is the way he is. And that he's just like, all of a sudden is able to like, just make a decision. Cause that's what the plot calls for more than like what that guy would probably actually do if he were a real person and i thought about it in terms of the like the conversation that he has when he convinces danny mcbride to go through with the wedding and i was like yeah. okay because that is an interesting moment in that like i could almost maybe see what will Leach is saying and that like this is a guy that you know could he even really bring himself to do this in like a way that's actually convincing and i i think i came down on the opposite side of it i could see why someone might read that the opposite way and be like all right they're just like they just want to give this guy this moment but it really doesn't make any sense given everything we've seen him do the whole movie but i actually kind of thought like oh no like this is probably something that this guy this guy has been spinning bullshit the entire movie and now he's actually put in a position where he is forced to like actually admit something that he probably knows is true deep down inside and he has just tried to avoid it for so much of his life because he has commitment issues and i actually made more sense to me that way and i actually thought the movie earned that moment like what do you think about a character like that that is just seen as like so cynical throughout the movie are you able to buy at that point that like oh like maybe he actually has legitimately like seen the error of his ways I think there's two ways to read it, and I mm-hmm. think both of them actually work. Mm-hmm. One of which is uh, that weekend they spend in Wisconsin at his sister's wedding is when he's clearly falling the most in love with Vera Farmiga, mm-hmm. right? So maybe like maybe he is having. I should say also problems. totally understandable. She is incredibly charming in this movie. Yes, <laughs> wonderful. You can see why. Yes. So there's that on the one hand. On the other, it's not clear that he's like a horrible person, mm-hmm. and like that scene could be played in kind of a funny way where he's not a bad guy. He wants what's best for his sister, even though they're not particularly close. And so he's just got to say whatever he can to make this situation better in the moment, even though he spent his entire life giving motivational speeches to people to, to not commit to anything, whether it's physical objects or to other people. But in this moment, he's like, look, I love my sister. This guy seems like an okay guy. He's just got to get cold feet. This is the way I can help whether I believe it or not. So I, I don't necessarily think it's it's poor writing or or a you know problematic arc for the character because either on the one hand he means it because he's growing as a character or on the other it's just like kind of a fascinating scene where a guy has to tell a bunch of white lies he doesn't believe because he cares about his sister. Yeah, no, I think 
I guess that that total it does it does kind of work either way. You can read it both ways, but I feel like he. I, I feel like though when you see his actions, like you know, after that point, it's. I guess you're you're led to believe that either way, regardless of what he's thinking in that moment, it does cause him to like actually then at least have a have an epiphany. You know, two scenes later or whatever. Yes. So, uh, and I, I, I and I doesn't feel out of character with that at that point. If like we've seen that this woman has had a pretty big effect on him throughout the movie, uh, and it, it's it's understandable he would. Uh, he would go in that direction. What do you, I guess to back up for a minute though, cause we just kind of talked about the whole end of the movie almost, uh, though I'll talk, I want to talk about the, the big twist with rear Farmiga at the, later. Uh, what are your feelings about the actual, uh, I guess the meat of the movie in that, like we haven't even really mentioned Anna Kendrick yet. H- how do you feel about that side of it? And just, uh, uh, debating about that, uh, that entire business and actually watching them get to go on the road. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a layer that we didn't even touch on. Cause we were like, okay, let's, let's talk about, this in the age of COVID. Let's talk about like the, the commonalities between struggling in 2009 versus struggling in 2020. This is just basically like uh, you're a kind of run-of-the-mill generational dispute, like in a workplace, yeah. right? Where you've just got somebody who's in their early to mid-20s versus you assume Clooney's somewhere in his 40s in this right. movie. I don't know. We're just sort of taking a guess. Mm-hmm. And you just have what is maybe less earth shattering, but nonetheless compelling in a generational divide where it's just like, I am going to come in and rip apart your business because, you know, I've, I've been led to believe that efficiency is the thing we're all striving for. And I think over the course of the film, you know, as much as Clooney's character learns, Anna Kendrick's character probably learns a lot about like the human cost of capitalist efficiency. Mm-hmm. because she comes in just being like, I've come up with a new, like way more ruthless and efficient way to fire people. And it's only once she goes down the road with him and has to do it face to face or has to do it herself that she realizes like, this is, this isn't something I want to be involved with at all, let alone make more efficient. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think it goes, it also goes back to what I was saying before about whether or not he actually, you know, believes in what what he's doing on like a that he's doing something virtuous because i even aside from that regardless he 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 firsthand sees the toll and uh it, it is kind of funny to watch someone that has operated in that space for as long as he has just like have such great command over it and he uh he's he's a performer that you know is fun to watch like just you know operate in that manner and i think it goes back to also to what i was saying what we were saying about the tone of the movie and that like a lot of that stuff is kind of shot and edited together very quickly like going from city to city and watching them do all that and it it makes it feel like a again not to use that term again but breezy and light and the way they travel because i mean i guess i i I asked you that question more in terms of oh what, what do you think about the two of them but i think it actually just ties into the to the whole travel aspect of it all too and just that it it, it makes that kind of work i don't know if i say glamorous is the right word because i mean some of these hotels that they're in seem nice but it kind of like it, it does harken back to like an earlier time like i mean i i do have i do know people our age that travel for business in normal times but it's just not as common and I do think it was kind of interesting to actually see like, oh, here is actually like some kind of job that in the past, like people really felt the need to kind of do that way. And talking about like what changes COVID is going to make, like something of this nature. I mean, who knows if like how many businesses there are that actually do exactly that. I'm sure there are some, but like they're never going on the road again, I'm sure if like in these times. So I do think it's like an interesting flashback to like actually watch someone that like just lived in a different time from you or I and like bring someone like through that and see like a really interesting clash of personalities. Cause like the Natalie character is like a very specific type 
And I think the movie does a good job of just, you know, making that entertaining. But at the same time, I agree with you in that, like, I don't think they lose sight of, like, the human element of it all. And I, so I was going to ask you, though, like, do you think it is pretty effective how they have the different interstitials with both actor and real-life people, though, talking about what it's like to get fired? Because I just think that whole entire part of the movie, like, I don't know, I feel like in lesser hands it could feel pretty weird and perfunctory uh having going through all that but i just think it does a really good job just like weaving all of that together watching them have to like kind of like live this other type of lifestyle but also having these other people talk about the human cost and doing it in a way that like actually feels somewhat seamless i don't want to say totally seamless because it does take you out of the narrative but i i think it does a good job of you know um making this an entertaining watch but also like not letting you forget what you're watching and you've got two fairly large cameos in, mm-hmm. in the people that he ends up firing in, in J.K. Simmons and in Zach Galifianakis, one that's played for humor and the other one that's that's much more down to earth, much more real world. Mm-hmm. Um, the closing scene at the end, the, the last cut they do where they stitch together the interviews um, or, or whatever you want to call are those actual I, – I don't know offhand if if some of the people in the movie were – where people were actually laid off. Yeah, they were so all I, I, no, most of them were – most of them were not actors. I think that okay. it said in the um, – I, I, watched, I, I watched on Amazon Prime and like on their X-ray feature where they show the facts and stuff like that. It, it, it said that the ones – you knew that they were uh, not an actor if they weren't – if they were not seen interacting with Clooney directly. Like anyone that's an actual actor, like they, you could actually tell that they were in the room together or they were having a direct back and forth. So I, the majority of them are just people that he cast that had been laid off in real life. And the way it's cut together at the end hammers home what he doesn't have at the end of this movie, because everybody talks about like how devastating it is to get laid off. But one by one in that last sequence, they all talk about, OK, as disappointed as I am and as hard for me as hard as it is for me to disappoint my family, I still have them to rely on. And one by one they go, I still have my wife. I still have my kids. I still have people who love me. They're my motivation and they get to pick me up when I'm down and I get to continue striving forward for them. He's at a complete loss at the end of this movie. And you can tell that if his job goes away, if he's not able to live this lifestyle anymore, or if he just decides finally like, Hey, I'm actually not so content being on my own anymore. He doesn't have anybody to lean on. And I think that's that's where the movie comes down at the end. And he even gives that little little monologue like most people tonight will come home and be greeted by, you know, squealing kids and jumping dogs. And I'm just sort of flying overhead. So they have something even if they don't have a job anymore, even if they're on precarious footing, they have something that he doesn't see. They don't they don't necessarily have him play it as him being excited when Jason Baseman tells him he's back on the road. I mean, right. I mean, it's it's also in the context of him just having found out that that woman committed suicide. So understandably, he's not going to like look happy or whatever. But part of me does wonder, like, hey, are we supposed to think that maybe he had actually had some sort of an epiphany and thought, hey, and maybe it is, maybe it might be better for me to like work an office job and like see if I get something out of that. I don't know. They don't really give you a definitive answer to that, which I think is fine. But it's something that I thought about, and I was like, oh, well, maybe this guy kind of realized like this isn't really the most fulfilling thing, and think part of him donating all those miles to his, uh, to his sister and, uh, new husband, new husband was also part of that too. Just realizing what, am, what am I even doing here? Right. Yeah, what yeah. do I have him for? I don't need him. And it's maybe the beginning of that character, like beginning to do things that are, um, a little more selfless than a little more selfish. Right. But then if he has like three more years of working on the road, he's going to just get those miles back anyway. It shows you how like yeah, li- sure. li- little they mean to him. Cause he said he had he got like 350,000 miles as of like the, at one point in the movie in the, in the last year and it only cost him 
them a million to like send them around the world. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think he realized just how little he needed them. But at the same time, I'm wondering like, oh, like, did he actually like, you know, decide, hey, I maybe this life's not for me. And then it's should we read that actual final decision is like actually, you know, him not maybe not getting the way that he actually wanted to have it though at the same time i don't actually think he would have been happy living at that cubicle because like i said earlier i think he liked having all the airs of like being a swap businessman and not a guy that wears a headset at a cubicle so i don't think he would have been happy there but i wonder like he probably went through well that guy goes through a lot of things in the last like 30 minutes of this movie so i mean what what are you thinking when he actually like shows up at vera farmiga's house i mean uh did you one did you uh i guess we already kind of talked about like what brought him to that moment but did you like what did you think of that twist the first time you saw this movie and does it sit any different with you now yeah i'm trying to think back to to 2010 i guess it was i probably saw it in like early 2010 um and i kind of distinctly remember i'm like okay he's gonna get there and this isn't gonna go the right way i didn't think that that was a fault of the movie um because i thought it actually made the sequence even more effective Mm -hmm. because like you're feeling bad for him before he even knows what's coming. And so as you're like, okay, you finally got to this place where you want it. You wanted to get to this conference. You wanted to give this speech that is an affirmation of this life that you've created with yourself. You're not going to get to enjoy that moment because you know, you don't believe it anymore. And so he throws that away. He rushes off to, to go tell her presumably that he loves her or whatever he's going to tell her. And yet you can see the whole thing sort of happening like a slow motion car crash. And the fact that I think the fact that you can see it coming, like I said, is not a shortcoming. It actually it, it makes it more devastating <laughs> over a longer period of time in the movie. I, I never really uh, thought it was any kind of shortcoming in his fault. Like if so, if, if 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 a woman agrees to like be your date for a wedding for three days, like you're not, no one's going to assume that that woman has a family. Um, right. So. I definitely didn't think any any less of him that moment, but I remember thinking like it didn't seem like an unearned twist when it happened, and I totally agree with you. And that like, I mean, it does kind of just give the whole thing like a uh, a layer of sadness when you're watching it back, kind of knowing what's about to hit him in the face, and uh, it's quite devastating because, like you said, uh, very few very few actors can make like this guy as likable as George Clooney makes him. So that you're 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 kind of on his side because he's redeemed himself in a lot of ways at that point, and. yeah i mean it's it's pretty tragic and uh at the same time like it it also uh gives me a whole other level of respect for vera farmiga's performance in the movie because uh she has to do a lot in that moment uh without saying anything i mean they have they have the phone call later but it's like she has to convey a lot just by like looking at him very quickly and closing the door uh basically and that and that's that's basically it um, I mean, I, they say a couple things like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I was in the neighborhood. And then she just has to close the door. But I mean, like you could see a lot wash over her face in that moment. And as I said, it's already like an incredibly charming performance, uh, up until that point, uh, just in so many ways. I mean, uh, we didn't even talk about the scene where like they, uh, right after Anna Kendrick's boyfriend dumps her and they're in the hotel, but she's like hilarious in that scene. Uh, and just the way she's like, uh, just so taking in stride, all of the offensive things that Natalie is saying without even realizing how offensive she's being. And right. she, and, and, and she just like totally goes with the flow and it's, it's hilarious. And to have, be able to be that funny in that moment, um, that, 
uh, that fun and flirty and charming in like the moment in, in the scene where they meet and just talk about rental cars. I mean, it's kind of incredible that two actors like that can have a, a scene that's like that filled with sexual attention or whatever, literally talking about rental cars. Right. Uh, and so she's able to do all that, but then also do something like equally devastating, which I mean, maybe wasn't surprising at the time because I guess the first time I would have seen her as an actress would have been in The Departed, which I mean, she has some like that's what I was thinking. She has like some extremely heavy shit to do in that movie uh, with the where she's playing Leonardo DiCaprio's therapist. But so it's not surprising she can handle the dramatic stuff at the end, but it just shows you like how impressive of an entire performance this is that she's able to like uh, give you some of the hilarious stuff she does while also, you know, uh, putting our hero down in like the uh, most devastating way possible. Yeah. Just to, to go back to something we were discussing with Clooney's character. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's clear that he's content so long as he's busy. And I think he even phrases it this way in the movie where he goes, you know, if you stop moving, you're dying, right? And it's clear that his life works so long as he keeps moving. But the entire thing is going to come crashing down on him the second that his, the life he enjoys is no longer available to him. So regardless of, like, the feelings he does develop for Vera Farmiga's character, like, even if that was not part of the plot at all, just making this guy sit down and live in that apartment in Omaha would have blown his life apart. <laughs> and so I, I think you really astutely hit on the fact that, like, this guy is justifying something that he likes only to realize this life doesn't work for me at all if I take the travel component out of it. Then this philosophy completely goes to hell. Yeah, I'm trying and to remember. I think, the, he, I, I think he hits on that at the end of the movie. You just watched. You just watched the movie. I've, it's been a few yeah. days since I watched it. Does he? Is it after she? Uh, after Vera Farmiga lets him down? Is that when he has to go back to the apartment one of the times where he's just like sitting there, and then he goes into the office and finds about about the suicide, right? So it's like, um, and then he finds yeah, out. Yeah, he's going no, it's there. funny. I wish I, I wish I could remember the order of events now, and I just watched it like twenty. So, minutes so ago. I mean, I think that's it though. And I think he ends up like it, it's like I think it's gonna be like, oh no, like this is my life. And then I think it maybe at some point after that he goes in and has the headset thing. I think I think that all kind of happens. I think yeah, because he's on the road with Natalie on, on one of the trips, and then and then ends up like going back to see Alex, or goes yeah, to, go, goes to the conference in Vegas, then goes to see Alex, and then has to do the deal with the other stuff before he's told he's going back on the road. And I was just thinking like. Uh, it's a good ending. It's it's a fine ending to the movie. Having them uh, ha- ha- seeing that he writes Natalie a nice recommendation. I didn't need that. I thought like we had kind of understood that like in a way he kind of he begrudgingly expected uh, respected her, and I think I got that through their performances. But you know, I think another if it would have been another fitting ending to the movie to just like have him go sit at the cubicle and then have him sit in his apartment and then just go cut to black. Like that would have been like a little darker. But I think that's another route that it could have gone and been like equally effective too. Yeah, it certainly would have put a different spin on the movie, and it's mm-hmm. it's not exactly a. We keep using the word breezy, but like it's a, it's actually not a happy movie when it ends. No, I think so yeah, that it's, a, it's a, bleaker. You're right; that's a weird word to use, but it's more just like it's such a, a well made movie that it just goes yeah. by fast, I guess. But though parts of it are oddly fun. Yes, parts of it are oddly fun, and they're supposed to be. He's very charming, as is Vera Farmiga. Like Anna Kendrick has like some very good like deadpan comedy. There's there's a lot to like in it and a lot to smile and sort of like laugh about in a movie that is otherwise like really kind of a stunning indictment on like like what what American capitalism looks like when anything goes wrong. So it's uh, it's doing two different things at once. And actually, this movie for for something that's only an hour and forty minutes is doing a lot of different things at once in a way that's fairly impressive. 
Yeah, uh, you mentioned Anna from Anna Kendrick doing her uh, deadpan stuff. I mean, it was also kind of funny that like, uh, it, it's funny w- watching back and watching her do that because she's now like become even more famous since doing that. Though she was in the Twilight movies at that time, and I, though I've never watched any of those, but like uh, she she did that, and then she did like Scott Pilgrim versus the World, where she's like the straightest person in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. As far as like that's a movie with a lot of wacky characters, and she's just like the straight laced older sister or whatever, and. After that, like, and then, and then I even really love the movie Fifty Fifty, but she's kind of playing like a straight person there. So it's kind of funny that like those are the first three things I saw her in, and then she's just like extremely, extremely um, buttoned up in all of those. And she actually has like a much more kind of fun, wacky real life persona, and then like did the Pitch Perfect movies and stuff, and did a couple other movies where she played a hot mess. So it was kind of funny that <laughs> before she like we really kind of found what she was like as a person, she was able to like really convincingly show us something else that uh, she could do. Uh, did you have any other thoughts, bigger picture? thoughts on like how this movie depicted air travel in the time versus the fact that we're just not doing it now because i had some yes, thoughts on that absolutely um watching this it's kind of like when i like the first time i watched office space after i had actually been working for a while because like i remember <laughs> watching office space as a kid thinking like this is hilarious and then you get a job for a few years no matter what that job is and you go back and you revisit that movie and you're like oh my god this is <laughs> this is way more accurate than i thought it was going to be or you just you process it in a much different way and so, you know, this movie came out in 2010. I would have been about 20 at the time. I still would have been in college. I wouldn't have had to work yet. And I sit down and I watch this movie now, and we're going through another economic downturn. Um, you know, so many people that I worked with this year have been told that they're losing their job. I got told I was losing my job. Um, I was fortunate enough to find something else, granted, but like, this this is a scenario that people are going through every day. And then from a travel perspective, so much of my last job was being on the road, flying around the country, going from stop to stop. Um, I was going to so ask, I, was, I wasn't sure how much you actually traveled for work. Nick yeah. used to work for the Golf Channel, uh, and I knew you covered a tournament here or there. I didn't know how often you actually had to travel for work, though. I was on the road about once a month. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you're getting up and you're going around. It's really funny because, like, you know, when you're 20, you, you know, or when I was 20, I was like, I didn't think much of like the loyalty programs or anything else. Like I thought it was kind of funny, but I didn't really get it. And now watching as a 30 year old and I'm sitting here like thinking about like my friggin' Hertz account. Right. So like all of this stuff, whether it's, uh, the reality of being faced with, with the fact that like the job and the lifestyle you're used to is no longer available to you. You have that on the one hand, or now the fact that you're like, Oh my God, I actually have like credit card X, Y, and Z. And I am actually like a Marriott Bonvoy member and like all this Ugh. other shit that, that plays so much differently, even just for me, like 10 years later than it did when the movie came out. And I remember loving this movie at the time. Like it just resonated with me for some reason. Um, and now 10 years later at a different point in my life, it resonates in a very different way. So, I mean, like, would, would you say that was a part of your job that you, like, actually enjoyed? Or would you – I mean, I guess you're getting to watch golf tournaments in person, so that's cool. <laughs> so it's kind of different from, like, someone that just has to travel to go sit in another office and do something like the characters in this movie. It's not a – it's an apples to orange type of thing, I guess. It kind of depends what you're traveling for. But the actual process of, like, being on planes and being in uh, hotels, does, does that get old or is it – did you kind of relish it a little bit like the character in this movie? Um, it's both. Yeah. And I've actually – I've. I've, I've talked to people about this before. Cause like, it's a little bit of both and it depends where you are. It depends why you're there. And it's, you know, like it depends on the circumstances. Cause there's plenty of times where you're like, Oh, I'm really excited to go to place X or it's like, wow, I've been on the road a lot. Like I just want to be home with my wife X, Y, and Z. And so like 
the travel component of it is interesting because like, yes, people think of like travel as being really glamorous and it is, and you get to do a lot of cool stuff and like clearly Clooney's character loves it. But in a lot of other ways, it's like, hell, maybe I'd really just like to be home. And that's something that his character doesn't experience whatsoever. Um, but now just the idea of traveling all the time, you know, like they, they tell him in the movie, you're grounded, everybody's grounded. Mm-hmm. And I touched on this earlier. They were going through like, an experimental phase with automation in the film. But like, this is something that actually would have happened to this character in 2020 where they tell him like, you're not traveling anymore and we will actually be doing web conferencing because that's the way everybody's life is going right now. You know, you're not, some people aren't traveling for holidays. They're not traveling for work. They're just sitting at home in their laptop and either doing their job remotely or FaceTiming people they love. Yeah. I've never traveled for work before. Uh, or I've, I've never had to fly anywhere for a, a work before. I'm, I, I might someday it could potentially come, become part of my job. It just hasn't really yet. So I wonder like, you're maybe doing it a little nicer. You're having more of your stuff paid for when you do it that way. So I, I don't really know that side of it, but I do travel a a decent amount in normal times for someone that doesn't. And I'm, I'm wondering, I, I, as I'm watching this, I think, I I think I left it thinking, okay, yeah, that would be pretty cool if I don't, as long as I don't have a family. Uh, I'm not saying I would be like this guy and never want to have a family, but as long as I don't have one, it might be cool. And then I would get better at the parts of travel that I'm not good at. Cause I am like a terrible packer and I, like, <laughs> I mean, I can, I can fit everything in like one carry on that I need for like a week's trip. But then I like spend the whole trip, like stressing about the fact that like, man, how am I going to fit all this stuff back in here? If like, I'm, they're just all dirty clothes. I'm just going to like squish like a couple of hotel dirty clothes bag into this thing and make it be fit. Whereas like I watched this guy and he's like leaving from his trip and then everything's perfectly folded in his, uh, in, in his bag. I was like, man, how did he do that? In, right. Meanwhile, and, they're at the airport at the beginning and he's like throwing out pillows and just like taking stuff out of her luggage and literally putting it. In the yeah, I'm, like, I, you know, I'd say I'd say like I'm in theory, if I'm going on the road for as long as they they were, I would be way closer to what she was doing than what he's doing. No, I wouldn't put a pillow in my bag, though. At one point, I see him have a towel in his bag. And who the hell travels with a towel when you're staying at hotels? That was a weird visual choice that like I took note of. I was like, all right, like he's clearly a professional. And I think I would get the hang of this if I got to do it more often. And And, and this would actually look pretty fun but at the same time i also stress a lot because i'm like always like worried that like i'm gonna miss my connection though i've probably missed like one connection in like my entire life because i grew up living in pensacola like i'm not from philadelphia like you i grew up somewhere where i usually had to connect no matter where i was going and uh or or, or, like i traveled a lot in college i have to drive from like gainesville to like jacksonville or something to fly somewhere and sometimes that wasn't even going to be direct so i grew up always like worried that i was gonna like miss a connection and then my bag wouldn't get there or that i'm gonna like uh in this you know american is a big part of this movie i guess that was like a partner and i mean american is there were so many corporate partners in this from hilton to hertz to american just there were a lot but i have like a very love-hate relationship with american because like they're like the only ones around me that ever have a direct flight to philadelphia where i could go to visit my grandpa but like every time i fly american i'm not flying first class and i'm like there and i I somehow i'm always in like the last four rows and you're in 3070 man basically and then like they're gonna make me check my carry-on bag and then i'm gonna get on the plane and then there's gonna be empty space like right above my seat where i could have put my carry-on bag and then it's either not gonna get my bag's not gonna get there or i'm gonna like have to wait like 35 minutes in baggage claim after i get in at midnight like i have all of these worries always going on i'm like yeah but like if you do it like george clooney did in this movie and you're flying first class and you get to check the bag for free and you're the first one on the plane and you have plenty of room to just carry on the bag if you want like 
I could I could live that life was what I left myself thinking. Like that looks really freaking cool, and they probably make it look like way more chill than it is. It was also done before TSA precheck, I guess. Um, I think so because he was actually going through security lines, and I thought about that immediately. But to to your point, like Ryan Bingham is never like running under the tarmac in Detroit to catch a connecting flight to the Quad Cities, right? Like he's he, never has, he has it all down to a science, though. He knows probably exactly what flights to book and when. I mean, the thing is, like, he doesn't have to worry about the ladies of this movie, and I'm sure that would be a thing. Uh, yes. One more Ryan Bigman question I was thinking about uh, before we wrap up. Uh, do you think this movie would be enhanced? I mean, I think... I think it's a good thing that it's not long. We already talked about that. But do you think it would have made sense for them to have like a scene of him like with a friend? Do you with buy any friend in this with book? any friend? Do you buy that a guy could live this life? And I get like not wanting to be tied down to a woman. Not saying I want that life, but I get that that's a choice that some people make and that they're happy being single or whatever until they're old. Especially when you're as handsome as George Clooney, and you could probably have no trouble getting women even when you're in your late forties. But do you buy that someone could go through life with no like spouse, but also just like presumably seemingly just not having a friend? Do you think it would have been good, or would it have felt too just like uh, on the nose for him to like have a scene with a friend, maybe a friend that took a different path in life that actually had a family, but him at least saying like. This guy has friends. He's not like a total weird weirdo. Right. And and he seems like he has the ability to make friends wherever he goes, but it's probably like all superficial relationships. I didn't really think about it, but now that you mention it, when he's home very briefly at the beginning of the movie, he has the interaction with the neighbor from across the hall who brings him the package. And like, clearly they've had some sort of interaction like romantically in the mm-hmm. past, but like, like that's his only like friend clearly or like, and he's like, Oh, I'm at home. Like, do you want to hang out? Because <laughs> clearly he's lacking in that regard. And, and the movie doesn't mind mentioning that. So he's really only happy when he's bouncing from city to city. And presumably you would think he was like, Oh, okay, well I'm in Miami tonight. I have friends in Miami or I'm in, in Tulsa tonight. I have friends in Tulsa, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't spend time with anybody in this movie um, other than the people he works with. Or Vera Farmiga, or yeah. his family. Again, I, I don't think I'm choosing to like live his life, but I feel like that would be like one of the perks of a job like that too, though. It's like where you would just have friends in like every city. right. You'd be like, hey, yeah. we're going to dinner tonight. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I I think they go to like some real middle America places where I don't know a ton of people. Like, if I'm in St. Louis, like I I wouldn't know who to hit up, or if I was in Milwaukee, I wouldn't know who to hit up. And they they talk about it's clear that this guy likes food. There's some small moments where like she calls him and is like, I need a recommendation on a rib joint in Atlanta. It's like. Okay, Bad like Max, bring a bib. Yeah, I I get it that he would be like, he clearly clearly he enjoys traveling for some of the reasons you and I enjoy traveling that he like likes restaurants and stuff. But I mean, I have friends in like a lot of cities. Like I have friends in like basically maybe each of the three biggest or the three most relevant cities in Texas. Though so, actually, San Antonio is probably bigger than Austin. But like I if I went like Austin, Dallas, Texas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Atlanta, New York, uh, Chicago. Like I know someone that I would probably see in almost like any of those cities and it was like i would see people there or any, just be sitting in a white hotel robe right i would any city in florida like i i sometimes i do think it's actually nice just sitting at a hotel bar every now and then like you don't have to be around people all the time i i meet up with the same group of friends from my fantasy football league and like it's usually just like somewhere around florida and we'll go somewhere and we'll meet up and and i end up I, I, i'll take like half a day off on friday and i'll end up getting there before everyone else and it's sometimes nicest to like have a drink at a hotel by yourself bar have a drink at a hotel bar by yourself and people watch but i wouldn't want to do it all the time like this guy i would want to like go out and see people so right. i mean it's weird because like 
like I was saying earlier about Will Leach not getting who this guy is or something like that. Like I can kind of see that criticism because it's like someone that's like seems as well put together as George Clooney would they really have like no one in their life they like care to talk to or care to see so but at the same time it might just feel like a little obvious to have the scene where he's catching up with the guy that's decided to like you know settle down and have three kids or whatever so right but I, also I can if, you're, if you're examining any movie through that kind of like hyper realistic yeah. lens like i can't imagine like watching like batman with will leach be like this isn't practical <laughs> yeah, but th- I mean, I mean, it's a movie. <laughs> no, fair point. But like, this is a movie that's trying to be very grounded in reality and was like very of that moment. Because if you're going to give it credit for like being like of the moment and coming out in a time when there was mass unemployment and being a movie about that, uh, then like, I think it's fair to kind of like uh, ho- hold a different kind of lens to it. But yeah, at the same time, I didn't get that bogged down in it, th- that kind of thing when I was watching it. It was just something I thought about when I was like kind of making a little outline of what to talk to you about. Um, yeah. Do you have any other final thoughts on the movie? before we sign off i feel like we hit on most everything Mm -hmm. i just i'm glad that we went back and revisited this and did on the pod just because of all the things we said off the top the idea that it shares so many parallels with the last time that we experienced an economic downturn like this but but how much covid has recontextualized travel in this movie the idea of remote work, talking to people on webcams, being isolated, you know, just imagine not just going through a lifestyle change, but like for plenty of people out there, you're now just cut off from your social options in, in these days. Yeah. So like there's there's the idea of a guy wanting to be isolated and choosing that as a path versus an age of social distancing. And granted, like people, some people take it seriously and other people don't. Now you're not, it's not an option anymore. You're basically being told like, this is what your life looks like. Yeah, I feel like we um, when I asked you about your travel thoughts, we kind of took that as an opportunity just to talk more broadly about like what it means to travel for work and stuff like that. Though uh, you touched on it earlier when you said the thought of being like a crowded airport like that just gives you a lot of anxiety. And I that's the thing I, I wanted to just kind of touch on again is just saying that like I think it's interesting to kind of watch this because regardless of how glamour it is, glamorous it is to travel for work, how easy they make the travel look. Whereas I have all these stresses I talked about with connections and luggage and all that. The fact is like it, it, it's interesting enough just to revisit to watch people like just go to an airport and just like just do it like normally and have to do it like frequently because i mean i know people that have flown since covid started i haven't so it's like it's interesting just to watch and be like we're never gonna really do it like that again every time so i know someone who has i've talked to someone that has been on a flight basically in the last eight months i'm like oh what was it like i get like a hushed tone and i'm like because you're like thinking about all that stuff and who knows when again it'll ever be that you can just like kind of travel without like thinking that thinking about all those other kind of external concerns like these characters do so it's interesting to just watch it in action in a film yeah and i think you'll you'll sort of note that with with any sort of crowded space especially in an indoor environment even when things go back to what we hope are normal like the first time you go to a concert or the first time you go back to a theme park or like just pick something it'll be like you're still going to feel the way you did when you were like in a supermarket in the early stages of a pandemic. And like, even though we're, I'm sure we'll all get over it to some degree, like the first couple of times you're surrounded by people in a way that you haven't been in a long time, that's going to be a fascinating experience in a way that's probably going to be pretty stressful for a lot of people. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think that about wraps it up again. I think we both highly recommend this movie. It's a really good movie, regardless of what year you're watching it in. But I just think it has an extra resonance now. So if you're just looking for something else to revisit uh, while you're sitting at home, like as you should be, uh, then uh, I, I highly recommend this one. Uh, Nick, before we sign off, anything else you want to anything else you want to shout out that you've watched recently since the last time you talked to you that you want to recommend to the listeners? 
Yeah, I feel like he's getting a lot of attention, a lot of love. But Queen's Gambit on Netflix was really, really good. And I didn't know anything about it going in. And it the, the beauty of it is that it actually gets better with each episode. So I thought the first one was enough to like hook you and be like, oh, this is pretty good. And unfortunately, like a lot of shows on Netflix, it's enough to hook you. And then it really drags for a while. This And it's a miniseries. So I think that this helped the fact that it, you know, it was only a limited number of episodes and it was always heading in a specific direction. It's only six or seven apps, but seven, it gets yeah. better as it goes. Yeah, good it's, it's only seven episodes. Good writing, good character development all around. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's only... I, I, I don't know if I've talked about it on the pod or not, because I've talked about it with just a lot of people, because a lot of people have watched it. I feel like maybe I did recommend it at the end of one episode, but I'm not even sure. But I'll I'll, I'll say it's great, and I, I... Yeah, there's probably a thing here or there you can cut, but, like, I mean, it's all... It was all very entertaining to me, and I was never, like... It, I never really felt it dragging for any length of time, even if, like, there are a few moments here or there where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we've already seen them do something like this. Oh, one thing I, I was actually talking to someone about it yesterday, and I think another really important thing about it to emphasize to anyone that has been hesitant to check it out because it's about chess. Like you don't you do not have to know the first thing about chess to like the show, which I think is part not of the genius of it. And at the same time, you could not know anything about chess and still like find the actual chess scenes like very engaging and engrossing because the acting's that good and they're shot in an interesting way, and you can kind of still get where the flow of a game is going and who might have the edge or whatever, even without knowing again jack shit about chess very impressive it's kind of like the opposite of rounders where it's like people who like actually play poker like will love that movie but like examine the poker scenes closely and be like this is ridiculous <laughs> yeah so highly recommend it anya taylor joy is great uh muriel heller is great who most people know is like a filmmaker but she gives like a kick-ass performance and uh yeah it's uh very fun great recommendation uh i'm gonna recommend an uh, an older movie i watched last weekend 1951 movie from billy wilder called ace in the hole uh, it's a movie about a guy, a newspaper man played by Kirk Douglas, who uh, is kind of banished from some big time jobs and goes to work for like a paper in Albuquerque. He sees his big ticket way out when a guy falls down a mine shaft and he thinks he's going to sensationalize the story in a way to help get him back to the big leagues. And uh, it, the, the movie is very interesting that like, I don't know if it's exactly like, you know, prescient in the about the media and the way something like network is. But at the same time, it does have a, a lot of interesting things to say about like the, the way the media can kind of control a narrative and control like what people are talking about uh in the same way that like you know i think a lot of the talk in the last year is about like hey what's the media focusing on with something like with respect to the election or if they're focusing on the right parts of the covid vaccine it, it it's a very smart movie about the way the media can dictate what people care about even if it's not necessarily indicative of the way that the uh, media would eventually come to cover stories because this guy like completely like, kind of starts pulling all the strings behind this actual rescue of a minor in a way that an actual newspaper man might not have the ability to but it's it's still pretty smart, and again, in the way it thinks about just like how the public reacts to like what the media decides to cover, and I think it's pretty interesting and entertaining. And again, that's available on HBO Max. Uh, yeah, Nick. Before we sign off, anything else you want to plug as far as where people can follow you on Twitter or anything like that? You can now follow me at Nick underscore Menta. I like to call it the Funderscore. Uh, You're getting. Are you, are you getting close to getting Nick Menta someday, or no? No, I can't imagine. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to let it go. But, okay. Uh, uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd, podcast Twitter, uh, Rewind Movie Pod, podcast Gmail, the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening.
Coming up next, I think we might do a podcast on Freaky, which is the new Blumhouse movie, body-switching horror-type comedy with Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton. And then a couple weeks after that, like I, I teased we were going to do a podcast on Happiest Season. That's getting pushed back a little bit because our guest has just had some scheduling things going on. But it's a movie I highly recommend watching. I don't know if I'm going to give it the strongest like five-star review, but it's like a super interesting one to talk about, and I think we're going to have a good conversation. So recommend checking out Happiest Season on Hulu with Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. So everyone, Thanks to thanks for listening. Thanks to Nick for joining me, and we'll see you next time.